This is Billy Childs, and you are listening to Jazz Is Not What You Think. Hi, I'm here today with Billy Childs, best known as a great jazz pianist who's played with everyone. I mean, from Freddie Hubbard, J.J. Johnson, Chick, Winton, Chris Bode, Yo-Yo Ma, Sting. But I believe his uncanny abilities is in being a composer and a ranger and a conductor that set him apart from everybody else. Welcome, Billy. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having uh, me. It's, it's, it's wonderful to have you here. And, and I'm going to bring you way back to your solo, early solo career. And okay. I, re I received an advanced cassette. Cassette? What are those? Yeah. From, yeah, they, remember those things that they have yeah. things that kind of turn around, but okay. it was from a, a wonderful lady who I know you know, Ann what? Robinson. Oh yeah, and and uh, she Wind and her husband, who uh, Will Ackerman, owned Windham Hill Records, right? And she wanted me to hear this pianist that she was so excited that they signed, uh, and I got the album, and I remember it like it was yesterday. The album is is called for for those of you who don't have it, you, you need to you listen to this album. Take for example this, and right. the the op keep in mind it was on Wyndham Hill, which right. was really back then. For those of you who know Wyndham Hill, might agree with me, and then who, those who don't, it was more of a new age label for that was sort of the vernacular and and the the what they called that music back then that was on Wyndham Hill. So uh -huh. here I'm listening to this jazz pianist that I'm being pitched by the record label owner and the publicist. And I listened to the first track, and if I remember, the first track uh, was a track called Quiet Girl. That's right. And it had arguably a little bit of a softer sound, well, and you could see where this song could fit on Windham Hill. But once that song was over, you launched us into an entire repertoire of Billy Childs that was very different than that track. Right. And yeah has been really not only a mainstay for me, but there's a track on that album that has become, at least for me, and I know for not a lot of other musicians that I've talked to, a jazz standard, uh, Backward Bop. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so can you take us back to those days when you were signed by Wyndham Hill on a new age label? Were you thinking like, like maybe this isn't a fit, but I kind of see where they're going with this? No, I, I well, what happened was uh, I did, I was very proactive about the music that I wanted to, to put out there. Um, mm -hmm. I knew that it was really difficult to get a record label interested in, especially, I think, being from Los Angeles um, and playing jazz, it was kind of a stigma about, like, mm -hmm. um getting with a label like Blue Note of Columbia or something that's going to be doable if I lived in New York. So, mm -hmm. um, so I had, in turn, I had to be proactive about just getting people aware. And being with Freddie, of course, was a big help to that. But what I did mm -hmm. was I saved up all my money and I just recorded with feathers of mine who happened to be extraordinary musicians, uh, in Los um, I just went in the studio and did whatever I wanted, you know. So I did an album called Midland, which was really? Spide Hay is most of, of much of the stuff that, that um 
appeared on my later Wyndham Hill albums, like five, um, five or six jazz, mm -hmm. um, oriented tunes. The side B were like two opus compositions, one called Lunacy and the other called The Coming of Spring. And, um, that album, I just, I got this list of record labels to send, um, uh, this an album to from the freedom. Mm -hmm. Brandon Fields and oh wow, yeah, and he gave me this list and it was on it was Blue Notes, Inner City Records was on, um, oh God, I don't know Max Jazz, um, all of these labels, um, and and one of them was Hip Pocket Records, which was um, Andy Norell's sure. company, and so Andy was the only one. There were a couple of rejection letters, but Andy was the only one that responded positively. But he said, "We're gonna do like the jazz stuff from uh, side A." So that's how that started, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, Wyndham Hill was Wyndham Hill. They they called it Wyndham Hill Jazz, actually. Um, but Wyndham. When the meal had, they had distribution with AMN, um, which, you know, distributed all over worldwide. So as, as far as being well distributed, it was, it was a good label. The mm -hmm. only thing that about it was, um, <clears throat> Wyndham Hill, the name itself was like new age of music was kind of a, like a, a revolutionary type thing mm -hmm. which just kind of became its own entity and Wyndham Hill was the label associated with that but it was kind of the in the view of many people in jazz and the jazz industry it was the antithesis of jazz right <laughs> so to call it Wyndham Hill jazz was kind of it was it was tricky because um <laughs> You'd have you'd have a DJ look at the album and it's say Wyndham Hill, and they don't want, they don't look at the jazz part and just look at the Wyndham Hill because it's right. you know jazz. So so that was kind of um, that was an that was kind of an issue that that was assembling. It'd be like you know if Blue Note wanted to start wanted to start a classical label and call it Blue Note Classic, right? Right. Sort of a miss a, a little bit of a a, a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I remember back in the day. I mean, Wyndham Hill also had the Magenta label, which uh, yeah, that's Mitch, true. Mitchell Foreman was on there, and uh, there were a couple other you know really interesting records, kind of fusion records at the time. And then Andy Durrell, uh, and there I remember there was one album on on I think it may have been Hip Pocket uh, by a guy named Stephen Miller. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But and I, it was this where he played on. Um, well, Stephen yeah. Miller was an, uh, it was also an engineer. engineer. Yeah, he was an engineer for Wyndham Hill. Yeah, because he engineered my fourth Wyndham Hill album. Yeah. Uh, uh, Portrait of a Player. But I don't want to give the impression that I am bitter or... No, of course. Hill because they gave me, they put me on the map. They were incredibly supportive. They had great executives, Larry Hayes, Sam Southern. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Really? It, it was a great... It was a great label. And in fact, the thing that was interesting is that, um, you know, I got it right away when, because I happened to talk to the head honcho there, said, look, we're, we're starting to do some jazz and I know we're not known for that. 
but that was my real introduction to you as a solo artist. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew you playing with, with Freddie and with JJ, but, but I, this, that was my first Billy yeah. Childs record and it was a, a wonderful introduction. So I agree. It was, you know, kudos to Wyndham Hill for being smart enough to sign you. But they also uh, and, let, they, they didn't interfere creatively either, uh, which was really nice. You know, there yeah. was it was just, it was it was great to to it did give me credibility because when people would get past the the name of the label we hear music, um, they'll well, they like so oh yeah this is jazz. Well, I mean it's it's undeniably jazz. In fact, whenever someone wants and they ask me, why don't you? play me something that is it's complex but it's really swinging and really fun to listen to backward bop i mean you put that song on it's hard not to just smile <laughs> and i i know you've you've recorded that a, a couple times and yeah. I, I like the different versions of it but it's just i mean like i said it, it's it's a jazz standard I, I you know you can't get sick of that tune oh well, i appreciate that yeah, I've heard a few people uh, play. There's a pianist in England named Gordon Beck who who played <laughs> who who did a cover of it. And then there was someone else. I can't remember, but it always is flattering to me to 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 have people appreciate you know what what I put out there. And, um, it's an honor to have anything be called a standard. Oh wow, you deserve it for sure. And the the one thing I was going to say is that you know I, I mentioned this in the very beginning. You know your compositional, your your arrangements. Your being a composer and a an arranger, a conductor. Um, that's yeah. something that I, I I it's a rare quality that you have. And in addition to doing that, it's some of the really cool theme projects that we should talk about. Uh -huh. uh, you seem to be attracted to vocalists. And what I've noticed in your work, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is you obviously have a really good ear of who are great vocalists who you want to have on your projects. But then I kind of feel like you push them a little bit out of their comfort zone and the well, results are wonderful. Well, yeah, I, I try, you know, I don't consciously set out to push somebody into any direction just for the reason of pushing them. It's usually I have, a musical goal in mind and um, it may fall out of the box or out of the norm for what a vocalist or excuse me an instrumentalist may um be wanting to do but nevertheless uh i i try to make it so that that we can come close to that vision uh so yeah i've, I've had you know I think um, Diane Reeves and I have, you know, I, I think I'll uh, written music that has stretched her a little bit, um, and it's a, it's a, it's that's a really great relationship, you know, because she's such a, well, she's obviously the greatest jazz singer of her generation, and mm -hmm. um, and greatest living jazz singer, I think, right now, um, and. Also, but but more than that, she um, is fearless, you know, mm -hmm. and was able to and welcomes a challenge to to make large statements, you know. Um, so yeah, I I 
do love working with vocalists. I, I think there's a beauty in the uh, combination of words and music. I like how vocalists can, can tell the story literally, but also be um, telling it in music language as well. Yeah, and, and the I, I think that maybe the best example of your work with vocalists is your Laura Nero project, and and it's uh, it was magnificent, and and there were singers on there, whether it was Becca Stevens or S S B Esperanza Spaldi, just after Ricky Lee Jones, just wonderful interpretations of song. Uh, what was your attraction? I mean, aside from the obvious, why we all love Laura Nero, what 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 was so compelling for you to do it? Uh, a project uh, based on the work of Laura Nero. Well, Laura Nero has been part of my DNA, really. Um, I had learned piano playing her tunes. Uh, my older sister, Kirsten, was a Laura Nero fan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, she would play, I would hear this music on the, the record player in her room, and it was all kind of a silent song. Uh, mm -hmm. Her especially her first four albums, they strike me as, I bet there's a great uh, writer, SAS, um, named Sheila Weller, who wrote a lot about Laura Nero. And one thing she said was that, which I agree with is that all of her, her music, the collection of her music sounds like an opera where there are different cat recurring characters, the devil, God, uh, mother, her father, errant lovers. Um, it's all, and each song is kind of like a chapter, and it's all centered around New York City. So it turns New York City into this mythical, magical landscape where, you know, like a movie, like an opera. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of compelled me, um, attracted me to Lower Nero. In terms of the album, the album... I really had been wanting to do it for like maybe uh, 10 years before we actually did it. Um, wow. And, and I had thought about it and thought about it a lot. And finally, uh, just settled on the idea of multiple singers. And so I uh, called my really good friend, uh, uh, Larry Klein, uh, <laughs> and asked him if he would uh, producing and it turned into much more like he, he just didn't take the producer role it was more like a collaborative thing you know we would bounce ideas back and forth um, musical and sonic you know and then I'd go off and do the arrangement or something thing. um, but having all of this kind of insight and I know that Larry is uh really really adept at working with singers and getting the the fitness offer but also he has an incredible uh capacity for sonic like things that yeah. can happen and so it was a really great collaboration and the album turned out really great it was absolutely stellar and, and you know you just said something that it, it i now understand the album a little bit more you talk about the mythical characters, which I, quite frankly, did not get when I listened to Laura Nera years ago, but I did get it when I listened to your project. Really? And that's, that's kind of what I put my finger on now that I couldn't put my finger on before. There was this operatic 
sort of mythical thing going on with the different vocalists with different stories. And 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 thank you. You just summed it up for me. Well, I couldn't quite ar- couldn't quite think about it and articulate it, but that I, I think when people listen to that album, they get that. Maybe something that that the writer that you talk about uh, was expressing, and you were able to really yeah. sort of matriculate that into this project, which was wonderful. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm glad you said that because that's what we were going for, trying to make the whole thing congeal into this organic whole. This whole and centered around New York City and centered on its characters. It's almost like um, watching one of those movies where, watching uh, a movie like Rashomon, where you have like the same thing, uh, the same subject, but told from a different perspective, you know? Sure, sure. And and then there was another album, I can't remember whether it came before or after the the Laura Nero Project, Acceptance, where it was my first introduction to Aubrey Johnson. Oh, right. And she is, you know, when I heard her on on that pro- on your project, I was like, who is this? Of course, I had no idea that it was, you know, Lyle Mays' niece. Yeah. And 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 then of course, then when she did that Lyle's final project with beautiful but at least I first heard on your album, it kind of all came together. Yeah. Yeah, well Lyle was a huge influence on me uh, in many ways. And he was a great friend and it was, you know, painful. He died just before COVID, kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But reared its ugly head here. Um, but And I talked to him just before, just before he passed. And, uh, and I just, I love, like you, I just love Lyle. Did you actually talk to him because he had- well, Yeah, yeah, throat- I did, I did. I did talk to him right before he started getting very ill. Oh, okay. And uh, in fact, he he was it was a, a beautiful conversation. Actually, it became a podcast. Uh, some of it. Wow. And uh, and he said some pretty incredible things before his passing. One of the things that that he said, which I, I've talked to a lot of musicians about, when he really stopped recording, and I asked him, I said, you know, it seems like you know, he kind of left the music business. And his response was, no, Michael, the music business left me. <laughs> and yeah. I, and it was so deep. And, and he, that's the way he was. Lyle was just a, a really brilliant, very yes. deep person. And, yeah. and, and, he, we, and we miss him very much. Yeah, I, yeah, I really do. But uh, he lives off to Aubrey, I think, you know. Uh, like, yeah. And uh, it was just, it's a... It, it was really, she's such a, a sweet person and such a talented singer and a very unique voice, very uh, c- capable of singing, you know, crazy melodies and mm-hmm. beautifully, a beautiful, a beautifully pure voice. Uh, and uh, it was just great to work with her, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So the, the, the most recent... Um, studio recording that uh, people should know about um the wind of change and yeah. uh I'm, I'm mac avenue and uh and tell us a little bit about that project you have some really great players on that album and the results are are, are not surprisingly great uh and 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 then i want to talk about something else after that but tell me about that project so that that was recorded like less than a year ago like right after the pandemic yeah, that was, let me see, when was that recorded? That, that was recorded, well, a, a ways after that, the pandemic. It was recorded in May, like a year ago, basically. Mm-hmm. 
uh, May of 2022. Uh, and it was um, with Ambrose Akimusery, Brian Blade, and Scott Colley. Really. I mean, I mean, just the best. Yeah. So there were two things that kind of were, that jump-started the idea in my head. One was um, the idea of these movie themes. Because uh, I used to watch movies, especially film noir movies with my mom, you know, and the, uh, George Raft and Hopfen Bogart. You know, she liked the uh, slang of the, the, the seating um, cities, skates, oh, the little private investigator talking and trying to, you know, operate in this kind of like sewage of, of uh, you know, characters and and um, <laughs> so so anyway, she, she's it was it was fun to watch that with her. So, uh, two mo two movie themes kind of stick out in my mind as emblematic of that ethos. One is uh, uh, the theme from Chinatown. Right. Uh, other is a theme from Taxi Driver, which I think both of those movies came out the same year. Uh, hmm. uh, 73, if I'm not mistaken. But mm -hmm. Taxi Driver was written by the great Bernard Herman and um, sure. Chinatown was written by the great Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and they both Kind of uh, like Chinatown, the the movie, the, the music kind of romanticizes the urban uh, part of L.A. You know, mm -hmm. uh, in L.A. of uh, of of that time. And uh, Taxi Driver kind of romanticizes um, New York, on uh, the urban New York of the seventies. You know, we have steam rising out of the manholes, and you have. Mm -hmm lights flashing uh, in, through the windows of the cab. Um, so that was one motivation. I wanted to kind of uh, uh, get, uh, recreate that scenario, especially in the title cut, The Whims of Change. But also mm -hmm. the other motivation is like uh, the album New High by Kenny Wheeler. Um, yeah. is was, you know, the, the playing, the interaction is so beautiful between King Jarrett Dave Holland, Kenny Wheeler, and Jack and Jeanette. Uh, and I I thought that Ambrose, Brian, and Scott uh, mm -hmm. would be able to have similar conversations. So I wrote music that was, you know, constructed with some specificity, but I didn't direct anybody to do anything. Well, very guiding statements, but not specific, not mm -hmm. exact things. And so because I wanted everybody to just um, interpret the music and have, have the chips fall when they may. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful project. And so that that's the last thing I've heard from you. But the one thing that I, I really wanted to talk about today, because it's it's for people who don't know, it's, a, it's something that I know you're extremely passionate about, and that's Labyrinth. And, oh. and th this whole piece for big band rhythm section, orchestra, these big projects, you you seem to have yeah. an uncanny knack for them. And <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the, the orchestral, the the big sound, the things that are quite different than, you know, the quartet and some of the other works you've done. Yeah. 
Well, actually, I should preface it by saying that part of the reason that I started doing these Mac Avenue albums is because up for a number of years, maybe over 10 years, uh, I was doing these huge lofty projects, you know. Um, uh, the last one being Labyrinth, a piece that I wrote for Temple University with T Terrell Stafford and Dick Oates in the front line and a big band and strings and French horns and stuff like that. They just recorded him, actually. But I I mean, in the past couple of years, I wrote a violin concerto uh, for Rachel Barton Pine, the great classical violinist. They're oh. actually going to be performing it uh, this coming summer uh, at the Hollywood Bowl with the L.A. Farrell uh, on July 27th. Uh, and then I wrote a saxophone concerto with, for uh, Stephen Banks, an incredible classical saxophonist. Uh, yeah. Going to be played at the National Symphony of Detroit, the Symphony in San Diego. You know, it's like 10 different orchestras and string quartets, uh, a piece for uh, trio, piano trio, and string orchestra. Uh, you know, a piece for percussion ensemble. It's, 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 it's crazy. I don't know. It started, actually, the first person to ever give me a commission was Steve Houghton, um, a great drummer and, and uh, yeah. percussion educator. Uh, that, uh, I'm not sure if he's still at Indiana University or if he retired. Um, but uh, he wanted me to write a piece for percussion and orchestra. And then again, he, uh, he commissioned me to write a piece for percussion and concert band, which got recorded with him playing. And in fact, that's where Backwards Bop actually first came from, was that piece. Uh, wow. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I got that. And then ever since then, I haven't, I think I've had, since then, it was like from 93, I think, from. No, no, no. Actually, from, yeah, from Nike. Well, he commissioned me in 86 to write the, the piece for percussion and, and orchestra. But since 1992 or 93, I've, I started on another commission and then I haven't stopped. Like every, every year, it's, it's, it's at least two or three things. I don't know how I fell into that. But well, it's been well, but you know, I, I haven't, I haven't heard because I know you just recorded it, and I'll, I'll, I'll thankfully get to hear it soon. But I heard your, I read your description of your latest commission, and I'll, I'll read it. A maze-like sense of imbalance through constantly shifting meters, yeah. which you know, there, to me, there, I have this thing that I always think about: homeostasis. It's balance in the face of change, uh, and it's not, well, it sounds pretty interesting and can you tell us what what you mean by that well i wanted like especially the first part of it um it has what i always try to do with um uh, music that i wrote that has white that has shifting meters is, is uh create a sense of like logical continuum you know there's there's kind of a there's a sense of like you it, it, it sounds kind of odd, but it sounds almost like it should go to this next place, you know, but 
Um, when you look at a maze where um, there are right turns and then left turns and then you go straight, um, that's what the piece is trying to evoke, you know. You have you may have a motif that goes ba 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 da ba 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 and then the second time it just goes ba 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 da ba 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 which is slightly different. Um, I cut out two beats there, and but it what that does is like when you cut out two beats or add two beats, it changes the whole complexion of the the melodic line, which makes you go in another direction. You know, if you open another, you make a right turn instead of a left, uh, <laughs> and and so that's kind of the sense that I wanted to evoke, in, at least in the first part. Um, and there's a lot of counterpoint also. It was like this section is playing this line, uh, and now the one is doing an answer. You know, things, uh, Things are working in counterpoint to each other, like kind of a puzzle where the pieces kind of fit together. So it just brought to my mind um, something like a labyrinth. Wow! So you 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 seem to love conducting too. It's a um, how much conducting work? Because well, a lot of these commission pieces, I'm assuming you're a conductor. No, actually, I'm not. I'm oh, not. Okay. A, I'm not a. I've conducted. I conducted well in the studio. But in terms of like conducting highly complex music, um, I'm not there yet in terms of with my my baton technique. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have to have someone. And when I like the violin concerto that I wrote, um, it's like a 37 minute piece, and it has so many moving parts and so many variables. Um, I can tell you how it goes. I can sit in the during in the rehearsal in the chair with the scoring saying, you know, that B-flat should be natural. But to wave my arms so that people can follow me, that's a that's a whole on it for. Interesting. Well, I can't wait to hear it. I'm just, I hear we're gonna hear it soon. So I, I I'm waiting. And uh, I'm waiting for that. And what's your next project? What what are you working on now? Right now I'm working on a piece for the Los Angeles Master Chorale, my Jarrett's Chamber Ensemble, which is piano, bass, drums, acoustic guitar, harp, uh, and string quartet, uh, and um, and Akiko Myers, uh, a great uh, concert violinist. Uh -huh. Yeah, so we're going to do that, and it's going to be performed in November. Right, do you plan on recording? I know you big performing artist you plan on recording this at all and 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 uh yeah. putting it out for consumption on um, if, if if i if i can get a really good list of donors you know that that can help uh finance it uh because something like a big project like that um it is real expensive to do sure you know oh, i mean you know you have year end on standards you have to meet and you know just the sheer volume of uh, musicians and the difficulty of the music um, it would be a challenge but I, I i really that's one of my bucket list things to do is to record all mm -hmm. a lot of these huge projects yeah well 
you know, I, I guess naively, I thought, you, you know, you bring, bring some microphones and recording equipment and when you're doing it live, but I could imagine it's a lot more complex yes. than that. Well, you know, when you do it live, you can, you can get like, if you have, like, there is an archival recording of the Grant Park Orchestra playing it um, that mm -hmm. is, they, you know, can't be, you know, heard uh, because of union uh, things. But um, they, um, when they play it, you know, an orchestra of that caliber, it sounds almost like, a record uh, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds almost like a, a professional recording because they're so good that they only need you know one take you know and then there's like a then they mm -hmm. you know in really great orchestras there may be like one or two um uh, one or two like mistakes but you know they they, they go by so fast they don't matter really <laughs> They're not full words. Well, we hope to hear them. Maybe, maybe we should work together on getting a a fundraiser for these projects because it, oh, it's, it's not, there's not, there, there's there's no reason people shouldn't be able to hear this anytime anywhere. Oh, um, there is a reason. Money. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's unfortunately always the reason. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, you're right. Yeah, I would love to get a recording of the violin on concerto out there uh, and uh, the saxophone concerto and labyrinth and the piece uh there's a, a piece that i wrote called um oh uh, my roots spread far and wide um uh, project um called trilogy and it was um there were three composers uh who were from california based uh ray uh stephen mackie great uh composer um uh, not California-based, but California-born, because Stephen Mackey, I think, is a Princeton now teacher. Mm -hmm. And a great young composer, Gabriella Smith, who's amazing. Uh, and the three of us wrote a piece for this incredible string group called Delirium Music on the 16-piece string orchestra. So wow. I, I wrote something for my jazz trio and them. And it's um, each of us had a tree that we had to describe in our piece of, or, or be inspired by so my my tree was the California red not the California sequoia and mm -hmm. uh, Mackie's piece was the redwood end. and uh, Gabriella's was um, Joshua tree and we did a concert and I, I would love to record that as well. You're doing a lot and 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 again I I'm just going to reiterate I think a lot of people would love to hear these projects and we have to figure out a way to make that happen. Yes. Yes. You is. and I, you and I will definitely stay in touch because it's a passion of mine. I mean, I, I, I love introducing people to music. I mean, I remember back in, in night in the, in the eighties, introducing through jazz is people to Billy Childs. And they were like, wow, I've never heard him. He's amazing. And, and that's, uh, that's who, that's what you. we love to do. Thank oh, you. You're, 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 you're very welcome. Well, again, I, and I appreciate your time today. It was, so great to connect. Like I said, we, I know we have a lot of mutual acquaintances, and uh, but it, this is the first time in forty years of me doing this that we had a chance to meet. Wow. So thanks for the time, and I hope we can do it again. Forty years, like so since yeah. nineteen eighty three. We're back. Nineteen eighty three. That's when it started. Ah, wow. Yeah, time just keeps going. Keeps going.
But until next time, we'll do this again. Okay. Looking forward. Really. So good to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for being on the show. You bet. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.